and welcome to The Great Indoors. The podcast which reveals everything you ever needed to know about interiors and explains how to make it all really work for you in your home. I'm Sophie Robinson. And I'm Kate Watson-Smythe. Well, we're still not meeting in person to record the podcast just yet, but it is wonderful to see things here in the UK slowly opening up again, which is so exciting. And I'm sure we'll be able to get together in real life soon because, Kate, I've almost forgotten what you look like. Well, you won't recognise me. My hair is so long. I'm like the opposite of Samson and Delilah. If I don't get a haircut, my brain (laughs) is just going to fall out. It's been such a long time. And, you know, things have definitely changed out there, haven't they? We have all got so much more used to shopping online. And our series sponsor, Sir Harlequin has developed some clever ways of working to make it a little bit easier when it comes to choosing wallpapers and fabrics to suit your home. Yeah, over the last few months, they've been innovating some new and snazzy digital tools to support you when it comes to designing your colour schemes, including online design books, which give you a full overview of the range, plus enabling you to combine patterns and styles to your heart's content all online. You can easily click through to the website harlequin.sandersondesigngroup.com for more information and also to order any swatches and samples that have caught your fancy. Yes, avoid the pitfalls of ordering online and always, always, always order a swatch. So thank you to Harlequin for making it that little bit easier. Right then, what have we got on the show today, Sophie? We'll be talking blinds, curtains and all things to do with window treatments. And I will be sharing a world-shaking personal revelation. (laughs) So bear with us to find out what that is. And we'll be digging into the do's and don'ts of the new country house trend. And in our style surgery, we'll be discussing how to pet-proof your home. Right then, don't keep the nice people waiting, Sophie. What revelation? Hit me with it. Well, I'm finally getting round to designing the master bedroom, my bedroom, which is really one of the last rooms in the house to tackle. It's had Artex on the ceiling. My husband turned it into a jungle gym over lockdown. What's a jungle gym? Basically, it started off with, you know, we've all been exercising from home. So Tom was like, oh, would you mind if I put a couple of hooks in our bedroom ceiling so I can do some pull-up things, you know, (laughs) pull-ups? Yes. And I was like, that's a reasonable request. Of course you can. Anyway, then my son Arthur thought this was great fun. They're like two hoops and he was swinging on them and whizzing around on them and playing them. And Tom thought this was great. And I'm also trying to think of a way to keep, you know, Arthur fit during such a long lockdown. So then a few more hooks arrived and then this one had a ladder on it. And then a couple more hooks arrived and this one had a swing on it. <laughs> and then another couple of hooks arrived and this had like this massive and basically the whole of it. We've got quite a large bedroom, just got covered in ropes and swings and pull-up bars and monkey bars and the boys have just had the best time ever. He's built a whole tree house for that kind of carry-on. Yeah, he has. Well, where, where's he going to put it when you do the bedroom up? Well, that's my argument is now it's spring. I'm like, right, that can all go down the tree house. And then I've just had my Artex ceiling skimmed, which I've been staring at for five years. And <laughs> Tom was really like, has it been bothering you, that ceiling? And I was like, Bothering me. <laughs> bothering me. Is that me? the understatement of oh the century? Oh my gosh, love him. He's taken out all the... Arthur's barely talking to me, I hasten to add. He is so gutted that I've got rid of his jungle gym. And I keep kind of bleating to him going, but Arthur, it is my bedroom. He's not having it. He's so cross with me. My 17-year-old's put like a bar for doing pull-ups. And I think it's a kind of extendable thing. So it wedges into a door. 
So he's got that across his door and then he can pull up. But, I mean, it's mostly decoration. He did show me yesterday that all three he could do. (laughs) It's not easy, is it? So, anyway, I know that we're coming up to the big confession, but what it means is I am finally decorating my bedroom. I mean, one of the reasons why we've left it to last is also we are planning on knocking it about at some point. We've got big plans, as I've discussed many times, of doing an extension on the back of our house, of which the bedroom will get a remodel. So I kind of want to get rid of the Artex, but I know at some point we're going to make the windows bigger and it's all going to move. So this is kind of like a mini makeover, if you like. So the walls are getting painted, whereas if I'm honest, eventually they'll probably get wallpapered because I'm so obsessed. But there's no point wallpapering a room if you're going to start knocking it about. So it's getting paint. What colour? What colour? Oh, God, it's such a good colour. It's called Turquoise by Edward Bulmer. In the bedroom? (laughs) Well, I just, you know me, Kate, I just... I've got heart palpitations. How are you going to sleep in there? I looked at all these pale, restful colours and I had all these swatches on the wall of these kind of cool, tranquil blues and then kind of grey O'Donnells. And I was just like, oh, I can't do it. I can't do it. I was so, honestly, I had them, did the right thing, big swatches on the wall, looked at them every day. And every time I looked at them, I just went, ugh. (laughs) (laughs) So it's quite quite a peppy turquoise, but I think it'll be nice. It's getting rolled on the walls this week, so uh, watch this space. By the time this podcast comes out, I might have a picture to show you. So curtains, I've got three windows. They're all quite large, and I have a real soft spot for pinch pleat interline curtains. It's expensive. It's an expensive obsession. And I just figured, oh God, here we go. I'm sweating because I know what I'm about to say. (laughs) Come on, out with it. Give, give, give. Well, on the basis that they're large curtains, they're floor length, they're interlined, there's three windows. Justify, justify, justify. I'm going for a plain neutral. (coughs) I'm sorry. I think, hold on. (laughs) I think my computer's crashed. Don't make me say it again. Can you repeat that? I'm not saying it again. No, I'm not. You have to say it again. I didn't hear. (laughs) Plain neutral fabric curtains. (laughs) However, I'm obviously not stopping with just a plain neutral. Honestly, I've had my swatches out only this morning and I still keep putting off ordering it because I'm looking, look at the names of these fabrics, right? They're called things like rice paper. There's even one called cream and I keep thinking that, I think that's the colour I've liked, but I don't think I could order a fabric that's actually called cream. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Parsnip and, oh, um, what else? The alabaster. Yeah. So anyway, they all sound so restful. They do, don't they? Alabaster. And I just thought, you know, they'll be a good, sensible, I'm being sensible, I think they'll be a good, sensible purchase. But to pimp them, because of course I'm not going to stop with just plain neutral curtains, I'm attaching giant pom-poms to each inner and outer leading edge. So imagine... Oh, whose idea was pom-pom? Oh, no, you're going to be insufferable today. That was your idea. They were. So hold on a minute. I think now we do a little roundup. So, so far in this episode, which has been going for ooh, approximately nine minutes, you're ordering neutral cream curtain klaxon with pom-poms chosen by KWS. This is going well, isn't it, this episode? I'm really enjoying it. Well, I'm just here to make you advocate. What can I say? 
Oh, oh, I'm feeling it. What colour pom-pom? You'll be pleased to know they actually come in quite a limited colour palette. I've got them from Samuel and Sons, who are, you know, just the most amazing pom-pom shop, one would say. They do fringes and pom-poms and trims, and you can get every colour and every style absolutely addicted. But this particular, because it is so giant, it's probably as big as a, a small orange, these pom-poms. White, grey or navy, so I'm going for the navy. I know how this is going. You're only doing this because you know you're going to knock the room about. Yeah, probably. And then you'll be having new curtains. Oh, no, I can't have new curtains. They cost a bomb. I mean, this is the thing. I think, you know, introducing our segment on window treatments. I mean, for me, as somebody who is addicted to quite lovely designer fabric, it is my weak spot. I don't really have curtains in many of my windows. Again, we've got quite a small cottagey style property. So I can get away with Roman blinds everywhere. And because a Roman blind in a small cottage window, you only really need like not even a metre and a half. Sometimes I've got away with just ordering a metre of a lovely fabric. But when you start getting metre, I think I need something like 25 metres of fabric for these three windows. (gasps) It's a lot. So yes, of course, I would love some fabulous floral chintz. But um, at this point in time, I'm not going to make that commitment. And then the other thing is, Kate, is for someone like me who probably will knock the room around and change my mind further down the line, I am hoping by investing in these neutral cream curtains, they will go with lots of different schemes in the future. I'm just going to put this out there that I'm not convinced by that. But um, So coming to an eBay store near you soon, <laughs> three sets of very expensive cream pinch pleated interlined curtains with navy blue giant pom-poms. <laughs> But I've got some window treatments, which I've never had, actually. We've got that sort of classic Victorian bay window in the sitting room. And, you know, the thing about curtains in bay windows, it's really tricky because they tend to be dark rooms anyway. And then you've got the curtains hanging down the sides of the bay window. So the only way around that is to have really long curtain poles that pull out onto the wall either side of the bay window. And then you're kind of compromising the space where you might want a chair or a table or a sofa. So we've just got roller blinds in there. And actually, I've now discovered the thing we should have had, which I'm I'm looking into, is pull-up blinds. I think they're big in America and they've not been so big here. So this is a blind that you fix at the bottom of the window and hook upwards to the middle. And 10 years ago, I didn't really know about those or they only existed for offices. So we've got sort of muslin roller blinds, very plain, very cheap from Ikea, cut to size. And we've fixed them on the sash window. So they're halfway up, fixed to the window frame, and we pull them down. And they're there all the time because our house, unlike your house in the country, is on a road. So we've pulled the roller blinds down, and that means that we don't compromise at all on the light at the top. And, you know, it doesn't, in the evening, no one can see in. I mean, is it just because you want to add more softness or you want to bring in some colour and pattern? I think I just feel like I want more softness. And also, to be fair to those blinds that have been there for 10 years, quite grubby, bit broken, one of them slightly held up by sellotape. So I think I think the time has come to repair them. But we obviously still need something on the bottom half of the window for privacy. Mm. But I think we want something on the top half to dress it so and we really can't do curtains so the issue is I think I'm going to have to have two sets of blinds on the same set of windows and I'm slightly nervous about that so I think I'm going to have pull-ups at the bottom which pull-ups oh it's turned into a pampers episode um pull-up pull-up blinds from the bottom and then something more dressy 
along the top. What, like a Roman blind or something on the top? Well, I think it would have to be a Roman blind. I've just had put in my study, which I've now discovered the name for is a London blind, which is effectively, it pulls up like a Roman blind, but instead of being straight, it's missing one line of structure. So it curves along the bottom. But I think on a bay window where you'd have effectively three curves, I think that's going to look a bit knickerish. So I'm going to keep it simple and I'm going to go for some flamboyant. We talked about this in my study before, this kind of punk chintz affair, but I'm going to keep it Roman so it's very straight across the three windows. So I'm waiting for the material to hit me. It's interesting watching you add more pattern to your home because you weren't big on pattern where you had a, you know, you'd have it on a cushion or I think you you did have a sort of behind the headboard feature wall pattern once, didn't you? Wallpaper. I've still got wall, I've still got pattern there, but it's anaglypta paint. So it's textured. Yeah, you're much more subtle on the... We really are opposites of the spectrum, aren't we, in terms of pattern? Yes, except I don't have any cream neutral box pleat curtains with um, pom-poms on, but um, no, you I should. don't. You should, I'm telling you, it's a thing. <laughs> the, the one other thing I'm going to say, which may not be as much of an issue if you live in the country, but, you know, I live in a road and I've got neighbours to contend with. My personal bugbear is plain curtain linings that face the road. I really think you need to think about that. Um, you know, when you're a child and you draw a house and you always do that, you draw, you draw that sort of classic box house with the four windows and the door in the middle and you always draw the curtains in. And they've always got a pattern, haven't they? And then when you grow up, you realise that pattern actually faced mm. inside and it's plain facing mm. out. And I, so I've done that in my study, which actually faces into the back garden and I've got this kind of pink ticking on the back. And I think that I will do whatever I have on the front of the curtains facing into the sitting room. I want some kind of fun lining that you can see from the outside. I think it's a lovely idea. Or The only thing I'd say is don't spend too much money on it. And if it's a south facing room, which I think your sitting room is, then yeah, you will get fade. Of, you'll get a bit of sun bleaching going on. That's the only thing to think about. But I think, yeah, for rooms that don't get a lot of sun. I mean, I like something a bit unexpected. I remember a beautiful house of a friend once who had ticking stripe on the inside and then this really loud canary yellow chintz facing the garden view and they were sort of French doors. But it was, yeah, I just quite like the surprise of thinking, oh, these are very sensible striped curtains. And then they had this really larry chintz on the other side. I thought it was fun. I think if you are buying bespoke curtains, which are expensive, it's a great idea to have something fun facing the garden like the yellow chintz because you'll get the benefit of it. Mine will face the street, so it's more a sort of decorative thing. So I might just have the ticking on the outside, which is just a bit more interesting than a cream lining. And keep the explosion, yes. the explosion of pattern of colour. <laughs> Who even am I? Um, to the inside. <laughs> but you, what people are going to ask, Sophie, because this is the age-old problem, and I'm sure we've said it before, if you're having curtains, they really, really need to be floor length because we don't like short curtains. But what about the radiators? Well, just a quick caveat on short curtains. I think you can get away with a short curtain if you've got a property that it suits, like a really cute country cottage. They look ridiculous with long curtains because they're just not the right proportion. So if you've got a little attic bedroom or, yeah, cute deep set country window, I think they can look cute. Or little short curtains in a utility room above a butler's sink or something like that. But I think when you've just done it in a good-sized room, and it's usually people do it because there's a radiator underneath, it just looks like you ran out of fabric and your curtain stopped too soon and it messes with the proportion of the room. A long curtain elongates. And another good trick is if you've got low ceilings like I have, a um, vertical stripe 
It really, really helps. So long curtains, vertical stripe will visually push your ceiling even higher. But to get around the radiator issue, the way I do it is have blinds as well. So in winter when your central heating's on, which isn't all year round, but in the evening or in the daytime when you've got your heating on, just drop your blind down to keep the heat inside. And then when your central heating goes off, you can draw the curtains and keep the heating in that way. And it's double toasty because actually window treatments are a great way of insulating your house in winter. And it's basically the idea is hang them as high as possible over the window and as wide as possible either side of the window so that A, you're not cutting light and B, it will make your windows feel as big as possible. And the other thing I wanted to add, because you and I have been talking about our bespoke blinds and curtains and I have to say it's only at this particular time in life I am of a certain age and that I know that I'm going to be in this house for many many years that I'm prepared to invest in handmade curtains because like I said at the top they are an investment and I have a weakness for particularly beautiful made ones but one thing I've done in the past is just sort of like customize my ready-mades you know for example in my living room I've got some really they were really cheap curtains from Habitat because not only were they ready-mades they were also in the sale 50% off Or you can just sort of, again, buy simple ready-mades in a plain fabric and add trimming or pom-poms or fringing. Or even what works really nice is just a band of braid down the side, like a nice big fat band of fabric can look really, really cool. So it's not all about spending loads of money on designer fabrics. Do come and chat window treatments and, well, anything else really on Instagram where you'll find us on Sophie Robinson Interiors and Mad About the House. And you will, of course, find more inspiration on our Facebook group, The Great Indoors Podcast. So, next up, let's move to the country. Ah, I already have. Natch. <laughs> Beat you to it. I'm not moving to the country. <laughs> no, that's not about to happen soon. But the fact is, people are in their droves, aren't they? We've already seen house prices rocketing in certain pockets of the country. I know the West Country. My dad's just relocated from France, and he was originally looking in Cornwall and Devon. Oh my goodness, it was mad. And he's a cash buyer as well. Couldn't get a look in. Couldn't get a look in. Even things at auction were just getting snapped up in a heartbeat. So this is really happening. And what I'm finding quite interesting is not only are we relocating to the countryside, but we are wanting to decorate our houses in this very quintessential English country style too. I'm going to stop you right there. I'm going to stop you right there. This classic English country house decor was basically popularised by an American. Did you know that? No. Oh, yes. Nancy Lancaster, an American, she bought Colfax and Fowler, one of the most quintessentially English wallpaper and fabric companies, I grant you. She bought it in the 1940s and she totally popularised that look. She also said, which I like, you'll like this... This is your cream curtains. Nancy Lancaster said that every room should have something a little bit ugly in it. And decorating rooms, she said, is like mixing a salad. What's that got to do with cream curtains? Well, that's your bit of ugly as far as you're concerned, is your cream (laughs) curtains. But you're right. But it has, it's true. It, it is a sort of, it has become quintessentially the English look. I'm interested, uh, you say your dad's relocating from France. I wonder how many people have changed their plans. You know, we've said about the pandemic that 
it didn't necessarily change anything. It speeded things up. And I wonder whether a lot of people who are moving to the country were people that perhaps had it in their long five-year, 10-year plan and the pandemics made them think, oh, let's just go now. So it speeded things up. Yeah, I mean, my dad's probably not, you know, he's at a different time in his life. He's retired and they wanted to live in France for a bit and then come home. And I think the majority of people are leaving the cities and relocating to the countryside. And I think this is probably led by the fact that we've all really appreciated our outdoor spaces, our connection to the countryside during this very difficult time of year. And also a lot of people have realised they don't need to commute into the urban areas five days a week and so if you can live a bit further out and maybe just pop into the office for essential meetings then it does kind of change your priorities doesn't it it's not changing mine (laughs) (laughs) I'm not moving to the country I'm going to stay here and revel in its emptiness and the fact that you know there's a 15 restaurants a five minute walk from my house but yes I mean I I see what you're saying you'll be really rubbing my face in that won't you when it all opens again but you I suppose you've really missed all that I mean it's I think it's been really hard for people in cities because you have you know one of the reasons is access to the theatre to the restaurants to the shops and they've all been closed for such a long time and they are going to open up again, obviously. But it's been hard, hasn't it? And I suppose it's made people reevaluate things. But interestingly, this country look trend, interiors trend, that I think is going in hand with the property market change, is also being embraced by people who live in the city too, right? And I think it's just really interesting that I'm seeing lots of millennial influencers like Louise Rowe, who's got quite a big Instagram account. She's just started her own Lou Rowe Home Instagram account. And she was on uh, stories the other day saying that she's buying 1980s decorating books off eBay for her interior design inspiration. And I just think it's fascinating that younger people in their 30s are really trying to emulate this very old-fashioned, nostalgic country house look. Well, it does all cycle back round, doesn't it? I mean, as I was saying, it started in the 20s and then Nancy Lancaster popularised it again in the 40s. So it does cycle in and out. But I think the reason for it now, I mean, there is, yes, a pandemic influence in that we've been deprived of the outdoors and nature and florals, so bringing them into our homes. But it was beginning to bubble up, I think, a year 18 months ago. And I think the sort of dominance of that minimal, pared back, mid-century Scandinavian look is finally on the wane. I mean, it's a classic, so it's not going to go anywhere, but it's it's perhaps, shall we say, had its moment in the white heat of the fashionable spotlight. And we're going over the other way to have more sort of staff and colour and comfortable. I mean, the one key thing about this English country style is that it's it's relaxed and comfortable, isn't it? And it doesn't matter if there are dog hairs on the sofa or there's, you know, a chip on your lampshade. Your sofa's got to be big, slouchy, comfortable. It's quite, it's very easy to live in. can be quite difficult to pull it together and make it look good, but it's very easy to live in. Well, it, yeah, I mean, I remember last year we did, we covered the sort of cottagecore trend, which was, you know, again, harping back to this nostalgic, bucolic sort of country look. But I'm seeing this more country house style. It's a bit grander and it's quite posh. Yes, it's house, not cottage. It is, definitely. 
you know, there's just always, I think, when people are feeling anxious or unsettled, there there is a real comfort and nostalgia and looking back and thinking, you know, we talked about, do you remember we talked about sort of tea cosies and crocheted blankets and all being kind of nan nancore was another hashtag that was really going for it but this is not nancore this is like lady core <laughs> lady core it <laughs> is yeah it's all kind of like scrunch lampshades and chintz on chintz on chintz and quite grand four poster beds but i think what it has and i think it, this is really key to pulling it off you don't want to take it too seriously or just have a pastiche of a 1980s interior you know there is an element of wit it's supposed to be witty so i saw a line somewhere saying you know by all means have a marble bust head you know <laughs> on your side or as a lampshade but maybe give him some sunglasses or, you know, have some kind of humour in it. You know, it doesn't want to be taken too seriously. But the the other thing that really characterises it, I think, is there's no sort of elegant way to say this. Stuff. You know, collections are good. Collections of jugs, of ornaments, of statues. Lots of... It wants to be interesting that you kind of going around a room and you feel there's more things to discover. So, you know, you have to have books. What are the books on the shelves? The other thing is... It's all a distraction, isn't it? Because if you're in proper English country house, I mean, God knows you probably don't want to talk to the other guests. English people don't really want to talk to each other, do they? <laughs> so you can distract yourself by burying yourself in their collection of small paperweights or vases and ask them where they've got that collection from. So you've got ready-made conversation as well. I would just say the other thing is that these chintz fabrics as well, obviously they've been around for a long time and... You know, you don't necessarily want it to feel like it's obviously not your nan's house, but perhaps your grandmother's house, if we're going lady core. But you can do it with more modern colours. So stripes and florals is nothing new. You know, the Edwardian, that classic Edwardian fabric has those tiny little sort of ditzy florals with stripes on it. Make the stripes bigger, make the flowers bigger and do it maybe in kind of mint green and cobalt blue rather than the sort of soft pastel-y colour. So you can sort of amp up the colour and that will make it feel like a modern take on this look. And also I think the look as well can be quite exclusive. It's lots of like designer fabrics, pear fray, 200, 300 pounds a metre. But actually, it is something that you really can get this look down at the flea market on eBay. It's wicker, it's bamboo, it's chintz, it's plates on the wall, it's frills, it's pelmets, Kate. It's all about the pelmets. It's pleated lampshades. So as long as you get a few of the key motifs, if you like, I think it is a look that you can pull off on a tighter budget. Well, and also the point is it's not supposed to be too matchy-matchy. So if you do find a remnant of material, you can just do one chair in it. And then, you know, one chair in an outrageous pattern and then have a plain one. And make sure it's got a fully skirt on it. It's all in the detail, isn't it? And then in terms of, you know, not having to match, you can look for remnants. And I'm going to mention here again, which I, I may have mentioned before, the Haynes collection. And Jules Haynes gets hold of all these remnants that have either seconds, so there's a printing fault in them, which probably we wouldn't even notice, or they're left over from big hotel designs or big interior design projects. And she sells them on. So you can get smaller amounts, enough for one chair, and you're saving it from landfill or saving it from waste. And actually, I'm stalking her site every day at the moment because I want to get the material for my sitting room blinds from there. And I need eight metres. And she will quite often have something of eight metres or 10 metres. But equally, she might just have a one metre remnant left over so you can make a fabulous cushion out of it. So that's a, a really good place to look for, as you say, those sort of very expensive high-end names like Pierre Frey or Christopher Farr, but you also find Zoffany on there. There's a huge range of, of fabric to look at. 
week's star surgery and I'm hijacking it. Uh, again? I've never done it before. Have I done it before? No, I don't think you have. I'm still thinking about the pom-poms. Sorry, my brain's gone a bit. <laughs> <laughs> still thinking about the cream box pleats with the interline pom-poms. Well, listen, keep those pom-poms in mind because they are quite relevant to my design dilemma. Essentially, my son Arthur has requested a pet cat. And I am a massive animal lover. We've already got a dog. We've obviously already got, you know, Jeff and Jerry, the guinea pigs. F and Jeff. F and Jeff. And I'm really, you know, happy to add to the jamboree. But I'm worried, Kate, about a cat and my furniture and my ornaments and my pom-pom trims and my seagrass floor matting. And it's I'm just really stuttering on, is it going to be something I regret? Is the cat going to trash my house? And I think at this time when so many of us are really enjoying our pets, you know, we can open this up to talk about all kinds of pets, you know, dogs, cats, the works. How do we make it all work? How do we pet-proof our homes? I thought we could open that up for a bit of discussion. Well, I just, I think I'm going to stop you there and I'm going to say, and forgive me if I'm wrong, but never mind the furniture, I'm worrying about the dog damaging the cat. I mean, isn't Lucy some kind of French bulldog? No, she, she's an English bull terrier. Is, is that going to work? Well, I'm thinking that there must be ways, surely, that you can train your dog not to chase the cat. Because surely we're not the first person to buy a cat. I don't know. Have you seen Tom and Jerry? I mean, it's kind of instinctive. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that could be the ultimate. That could be the ultimate reason not to get a cat, for sure. And maybe this conversation ends right there. You're right. But for our listeners who don't have a dog or who may be thinking of a cat and having the same problems as me, yeah, I just thought it, it was interesting to throw it open. And also, we did get sent another very useful little press release from a company called Scrambles, who are a family-run pet food brand. And they just sort of highlighted the fact as more and more of us are having pets in our home, we've got to think about the interior design. And they had some tips. I've just seen one of their tips, though, and I'm going straight in with that. Tip number four, embrace minimalism so there's less to knock over. Well, that's the that's the entire episode's now gone out the window, hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, that is that is kind of the clincher, isn't it? This the idea that they get up on all your surfaces. And actually, I was chatting to Kaz, who's my brilliant graphic designer, and I sort of mentioned to her, I don't know how we got on the topic, that, you know, thinking of uh, getting a cat. She goes, oh, you must get a Bengal. They're absolutely brilliant. She's like, they're not like your average cat. They're so fun. They're so playful. They're great for kids. And then I went on Google and they look like leopards. They are so beautiful. But I'm stopping you there because we had a similar conversation when we got Enid who, for anyone who doesn't know, Enid was, well, we got her on Gumtree. She was supposed to be a British blue, but I think she's she's got some mog. God love her. I've got to be quiet because she's sitting next to me, very unusually. So I spoke to a friend who knows all about cats and she said to us, if you are more of a dog person or you're getting your first cat, then Bengal or British Blue can be good because British Blue, she said, that's why you often see them in the adverts, British Blue, Russian Blue. So they're grey with either golden eyes or blue eyes. They're quite trainable. So you can apparently teach them to fetch a ball. Obviously you can't teach Enid to fetch a ball, but you do quite often see them on the telly. But Bengals can be quite highly strung. So I was talking to someone about that and she said she'd got two Bengal cats and they constantly peed in her designer shoes, but not in her cheap trainers. Oh! <laughs> 
I think you just want a lovely, friendly mog. It's the same with dogs, isn't it? You know, you want a mix and they'll be lovely and friendly, a rescue cat. Well, I think you've got to really do your research, haven't you, for sure, as to what animal suits your lifestyle. And we did a lot of research when we got Lucy, who's our mini bull terrier, and she's ended up absolutely perfect. She's really cuddly. She loves a sofa snuggle. You know, she sits next to me all day, keeps me company and doesn't need much walking. In fact, to be honest, sometimes I go for a walk without her because I can't bear to turn around after 10 minutes because she's looking at me like, we're done now, aren't we? Yeah, she really is perfectly, perfectly low maintenance. She basically just likes sunbathing. She's a bit like a cat, actually. She just likes sunbathing in the window all day. So she's really suited. She's also short hair. She doesn't really molt, which was, again, me being a bit like precious about... Well, I say I'm precious about my house. I'm not really. I mean, like I said, my bedroom got turned into a jungle gym. The kids absolutely trash the place every time they're around here. I'm constantly picking up Nerf gun bullets. Like, I'm not that precious. But I suppose you've got to really think about, you know, pet hair, muddy paws, you know, and design your house accordingly. You know, we're in a country house, so I've got hard floors throughout the ground floor anyway, lots of patterned rugs. You know, it's not just the pets I have to worry about, it's the kids as well. So that's all fine. But then I was worried about, you know, what about pet hair sticking to my velvet furniture and things like that? Well, it will do that. We've got hard floors as well. And Enid is quite furry and she does molt. And they will sharpen their claws on furniture. And we've bought, and maybe we just weren't very good at the training, we have bought scratching posts. And I see that some people have scratching posts and their cats use them. Enid took one look at this very expensive, tall, artistically beautiful scratching post, walked straight past it and sharpened her claws on the sofa. I mean, you know, so there may be personality, there may be training issues, which we've completely failed with. What we have noticed is she doesn't scratch velvet. She'll scratch something more of a boucle or a linen, and I don't know what the difference is. Maybe it just feels sharper. So all the velvet, we've got a velvet sofa, I've got velvet headboard or bed, that's all completely fine, although it does kind of collect the fur. But then, you know, what we use is one of those, um, it's like sellotape on a roll that you use for clothes. Or just hoover the furniture. And actually, if you read any website or any sofa manufacturer, they will tell you you should vacuum your upholstery every now and then anyway because it's good for it and it keeps the material lasting longer. So I'm not going to be in the business of decorating my house around my pet. But there are certain things you just need to be aware of and you need to decide if you really care. You know, if you care that much that there will be dog hair or cat hair on your velvet sofa, then maybe rather than getting a new sofa, you need to think about whether you really want the pet. (laughs) Yes. No, I think this is all very sage advice, definitely. I mean, you know, I've got this lovely sort of antique rattan furniture that I've just inherited from that I'm having recovered at great cost uh, that was my grandmother's. And, you know, I've got all my seagrass flooring. I'm just thinking... You know, I don't know. I've never owned a cat. I come from a family of dog lovers. This is Arthur's thing. And I can see that he's a cat person. Like, I get that in his personality. Now, I would obviously love him to have a pet that is his and makes him happy. And, you know, and our pets do. I'm a massive animal lover. I'm just trying to be a bit realistic with my expectations on how I will have to modify my home. But what you're kind of saying to me is don't. Well, you know, I mean, I was never massively one for modifying my home when the boys were toddlers. I mean, you know, I I had the odd sort of foam padded thing on the corner of a sharp table for about a week until they fell off. I think, you know, for me, you're better off teaching your kids to be careful 
you know, to avoid that area. So, I mean, I would tend to do the same with cats. I mean, I notice also on these tips, you know, this is an oxymoron, subtly wrap some stylish sizal around your table legs so that... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, for a stylish look that you and your cat can enjoy to avoid scratch marks. I mean, I am not wrapping my table legs in sizal. However, (laughs) you know, maybe I wouldn't mind if there were some scratch marks on the table legs. Or the other thing I've heard is water pistols. We had to do a little bit of that with um, Lucy when she was a puppy, a little bit of water pistoling because she was getting very aggressive with horses or dog walkers walking past the house. And it really works. She really just doesn't do it anymore. But I know it's quite, uh, you know, and the reason they don't do it more is because Dogs and cats really hate being squirted with water. Like, they really hate it. So I think it's a bit of a contentious training trick, but it is effective. And I've heard the same with cats. You can squirt them if every time they go for your linen sofa. We've never squirted Enid because I've sort of always been too disorganised to buy the water pistol. But I'm in a sharp sort of hand clapping to distract her. I mean, she doesn't scratch our table legs, so maybe that's why I'm saved having to wrap all my furniture in stylish sizal. Um, because <laughs> that ain't going to happen either. <laughs> I mean, I think the thing, the one thing I will say about cats, you know, and I grew up with dogs as well, and I was, I thought I was much more of a dog person until we got a cat. You know, we got the cat because the mad husband and my kids, my sons wanted a cat and I was a bit ambivalent, although at the time I was the only one that was home all day. So, you know, it was always going to fall to me. I really admire the independence of a cat. Enid and I get on very well. And that's because a large part of it is that I do not have to walk behind her with a plastic bag, pooping scoop, scooping poop. (laughs) That, you know, that plays a large part in our mutual respect for each other. She has her cat flap. She comes and goes as she pleases. You know, if she wants to be with you, she'll come in and chat. I mean, she likes company, does Enid. So if she hears a conversation going on in any part of the house, she's got to be there. If there's one of us in a room and another one wanders in and then a third person comes in, the fourth person will be Enid. I can see her on Zoom now. I just I just saw a little tail. She's listening. Yes, she is. Yeah, well, there you go. She knows I'm talking about her. <laughs> well, I think this is all good. And I'm sure our listeners are going to have so much advice for me and I'm open to it. So if you want to jump on our Facebook page and let me know the pros and cons to owning a cat, which breeds are good. And I think it's just really important to do your research before you do any knee jerk purchases. And of course, the other thing I want to highlight, because I know the sales of pets have absolutely rocketed this year. We're all loving their companionship. But do consider, of course, adopting a cat or a dog or a pet. That's a really, really sensible thing to do. So if you do have a question for us or an opinion, send us an email or even better, record a little message on your phone and email it to thegreatindoorspod at gmail.com. And do check out our blogs for more detail and lots of pretty pictures. I'm sophierobinson.co.uk and she's madaboutthehouse.com. And if you're enjoying the show, do shout about it on social or tell a friend. We're reaching more people than ever and we absolutely love it. So do help us on our way to world domination. And we'll be back back in a couple of weeks with an interview with Simon Hamilton as a follow-up to last year's diversity episode. But for now, thanks to our producer, Kate Taylor of Feast Collective, and a huge thank you to our sponsor, Harlequin. And I'm saving the biggest thanks of all to you, our lovely listeners. We'll see you in the great indoors. 
cannot see a pom-pom getting anywhere near your house anytime soon. You're the least pom-pom person I think I've ever met. I was met. thinking, no, I'm thinking that's where I'm living vicariously through you. All your pom-pom and chintz fantasies, you just push them over my way. <laughs> I think that's enough on that subject. 